Hello, and welcome to the Growth Mindset Podcast, your weekly dose of inspiration and exploration. Join me, your host, Sam Harris, as I discover how mindset can help you do incredible things through my conversations with the world's most interesting people, from tech billionaires to leading scientists, best-selling authors to notorious hackers. The goal is to increase our collective wisdom and attitudes to make us all happier and healthier, wiser and wealthier. Who doesn't want that? Today we have Lisa Forte on the podcast. She is the winner of the Top 100 Women in Tech 2018 Award and is just an incredible human being. She worked in cybercrime and social engineering for the police for a long time and has recently launched her own startup helping businesses combat and prepare for cyber threats. She has a wealth of useful insights for businesses or any humans wanting to protect themselves better. When she isn't breaking into businesses to showcase their vulnerabilities, she is regularly traveling around the world, speaking at conferences, and is just a really inspiring individual with a crazy amount of energy and passion for what she's doing. And I just know that you're going to love this conversation already. So I frequently find myself completely out of my depth during this conversation. And instead of steering the conversation to safe waters, I just went for like open-ended questions where I say things like, is there anything else I should know more about in this area? And Lisa just comes out with some absolute gold every time. I learned so much from her. So keep a pen and paper handy at any point where I sound like I have no idea what I'm doing. That's your cue that Lisa will come out with five tips that will probably change your life. And on that note, enjoy the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by InstaRead, an app made for people interested in personal development and growth. I'll talk more about their exciting offer for listeners later on. But now let's go into the episode. My name is Lisa Forte, and uh, I am one of the founding partners of Red Goat Cybersecurity. We're a cybersecurity company with our main areas of expertise being social engineering, which is the human side to security. So you probably have experienced phishing emails and malicious calls and things like that that hackers use to try and get into the company. So we provide lots of services around defending against those sorts of attacks. And we also do uh, cyber attack wargaming which is essentially where we simulate cyber attack in a company and then they have to sort of make decisions and deal with what's happening to try and make sure their company survives. And it's just been amazing fun. We're a year old. We've grown hugely in a year, which was a bit unexpected, really, I guess. And I also, on top of all of that, am a professional keynote speaker. So I get hired to speak around the world at all sorts of events on my experiences in the intelligence services and in the police and and running a company. It's a bit of a whirlwind of, of stuff going on in my world at the moment. Yes, lots of uh, things going on. That's awesome. Quite a few topics to dive into in terms of things for the podcast. This is exciting. <laughs> Where did the idea come from for this? Were you just always interested in social engineering and how did you like pull the different strands together to come up with the business concept? Well, I worked for the police cybercrime unit in the UK. And when I was there, I saw that so many of the cases that we were dealing with involved hackers making contact in some way with a member of staff, be it through email or through social media or through phone calls. And I was just seeing the same things sort of happen over and over. And I thought, actually, there's something I can do about this. There's something I can you know, create to fix this and to help companies defend against this in a better way. I took a massive leap from leaving the public sector to starting my own business, which was a bit terrifying. And yeah, so we created a course that GCHQ, one of the main intelligence services in the UK, actually certified and all sorts of things just to help people to do that. And I think it kind of came from seeing the other side of it, you know, once the attack had happened. And that sort of led me to think, actually, there's something we can do about this. Cool. So you're a first time founder then and you just had a really good idea and it worked or have you had other business ideas as you're going along? And No, this is a complete first. I've worked in public sector pretty much my entire career and decided to take that leap, which was probably the biggest risk and most terrifying decision I think I've ever made in my life. But I think in some ways, when you start a company, I think there's a real advantage to jumping off that cliff because... I think when you have too many sort of safeguards, like if you have part-time work or whatever, you don't, you, you have too much of a safety net to really push yourself. Whereas if you throw yourself into it, you know, it has to work. So it's the best motivation you can possibly have, I guess. Yeah, I say it's kind of like jumping off a cliff and building a parachute as you're going down. <laughs> totally. 
yeah, and just hoping you have enough time before you hit the bottom. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. And some people say you should have like three or four startups before you're ever successful. But if you're just in the right area that you're just really expertise in, it's quite easy to just learn all the relevant skills you need. Although I'm sure it's been really hard, but you know what I mean? Is in you know what it is you need enough to be able to ask someone to get the right advice, perhaps. And yeah, my, my father is a very successful businessman. And um when I started the company, he said to me, he his businesses have all been in hospitality. And he said to me, when he opens a new restaurant or bar or whatever, he keeps the menu really, really small. And he does that because then he does the options that are on the, that menu better than anybody else around. And people will then come to that restaurant. And he said to me, you've got to do the same thing with your company. Pick, you know, a handful of things that you do better than anybody else and stick with those. You can grow later, but don't start with a huge amount of services and products that you think you can put out there. Just start with a couple. And so that's what we did. And I think it really has paid off because very quickly we became known as experts in our field. And within a year, we're now in a position where we're literally having to turn work away because we don't have the capacity to take it all on. If you're thinking about starting your own business, I would definitely say just pick a handful, like one, two, three things that you know really well that you can do and just dominate that. And then you can always grow later. That's really good advice. It's so true as well, because you can just end up trying to do too many things and you're not doing them all quite so well and it becomes a bit more bland. And then also, if, when you get too much work, it then raises the value of it because there's people that you're actually turning away. And yeah, totally. Yeah, that's really cool. And you also means that you're always doing things that you want to do. It's limiting you from taking work that you maybe isn't like your favorite thing to be doing or your most expert thing. So you have a framework to say no to people when they ask you to do something else, which uh, yeah. can be quite And powerful. I think in business, this happens a lot because really early on in our journey, there was a really big client who approached us. And obviously we were very new. We were very excited about this client and they wanted sort of all sorts of changes to be made and new things to be created for just specifically for them. And we actually decided not to do it and say to them, actually, these are the three things we do and that's all we do. And I think that was probably the right decision because I think there's a very big danger when you start a company to try and be too flexible and change things around too much for clients. And I think you have to adapt to their model. But I think, you know, you know your product, you know your service really, really well. And you need to sort of stick to that and make sure that that's sort of what you're delivering. Otherwise, like you said, I feel that you would just end up going off and creating almost a bespoke service for every single person. And you're not an expert at anything because it's all so different. So you've got to, you know, stick to what you're good at first and and what you enjoy, like you said, because... It's uh, it's not a not a short or easy ride. So if you don't enjoy it, it's not going to be a fun one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it can be quite hard when you're first starting out if you haven't got like a clear vision of what it is you are offering, and then you kind of just grab it whatever comes along. But if you decide that hey, I'm skilled in X, Y, Z, this is exactly what I do. It's just so much more releasing of like, being able to take hold of the potential that you have. So you spoke a bit about being an expert in offering specific things. Can you explain a bit more about those things? Because I haven't really heard a lot about social engineering and it sounds super fascinating. Yeah, I love social engineering. My background, I worked in the intelligence services in the UK for a while, and then I moved into the police cybercrime unit. So I've had quite an experience of sort of human hacking, if you like. And what we're seeing in cybercrime generally is that as your technical defenses get better, you know, your antiviruses, your firewalls, all these things are getting more and more advanced. Hackers are thinking, okay, this is starting to reduce my return on investment because it takes me months to hack into a firewall, for instance. So instead of doing that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a bit of uh, intelligence gathering on some of the staff at this company. And then I'm going to send them some convincing emails with malicious links. And that will bypass all of the rest of the work I would otherwise have to do. And because most hackers, for the most part, are from organized crime groups, so they, they want money. So they need to have a return on investment, just like any business person would need to have. So this is much easier for them. And as a result of that, one of my clients, who's a, a big bank, said that they see, you know, 30 to 40,000 phishing emails a month coming into their company. So it's huge. It's absolutely enormous. And so we decided, okay, we need to, you know, work out a, a package of of services that can help companies turn their staff from potentially their weakest link into their greatest defense. And that's kind of what we're all about. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. 
so each package that you deliver is bespoke then for that company you work out what their main kind of prone target areas would be and how to defend against those or yeah sort of we have a, a training course for staff which gchq uh, certified for us which is brilliant and that helps staff become a bit more aware of how hackers would gather intelligence on them and use that in a malicious manner but then we also do some testing so we'll actually send in phishing emails we'll call up the staff we'll actually show up in person to the offices and try and see how far into the office we can get without being stopped, breaking in, but with permission. And we'll test all of that security and put it into a report to the company. Um, and that's very bespoke. It does get tailored to, to each individual company and the risks that they face. Wow, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> cool. What's the furthest you ever got into a company without naming them? All the way, really. We have a funny thing that one time the head of IT said to me that he was convinced I wouldn't get into the server room of this company. And I said, okay, if I do, I'm going to, because our company is called Red Goat, I said, I'm going to leave a little goat figurine in the server room if I got in there, you know, sort of a bit yeah. uh, movie style. Yeah. Uh, and the thing was, I just wandered around. And to be honest, I'm quite short. I'm blonde. I'm a woman. And no one ever thinks that I'm up to anything malicious. So people just open doors for me. And uh, lo and behold, in I walk, not challenged at all. There are advantages to being a short blonde woman, I think. People don't think you're likely to do anything malicious. That's the thing with like hackers. They are just people. They, they come in wearing like a weird mask or something. Cause... Totally. Yeah, that, exactly. They're not all wearing hoodies all the time. Yeah, I'd love to try doing something like that. <laughs> Can I come for work experience? Is this allowed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, come along. Ah, brilliant. Great experience. You, you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. How did you then work out? So you had a really cool product and service to give people how did you then build the rest of the business around that as in having employees and contracts all these things it's a bit of a whirlwind really because my background i knew my service what i was actually going to be delivering i knew really really well but i'd never run a business before so it was a bit of a baptism of fire and when you start your own business the saying is that you suddenly start working for the toughest boss you've ever had which is yourself think is so true because I don't give myself lunch breaks or time off or or things but lightly I, I'm a terrible boss for myself so but I think that's one of the big challenges because when you first start you have to be the CEO you have to be the marketeer the accountant the HR professional the R&D professional and suddenly you take on all these roles and I think it's, it's incredibly exciting but you have to be a certain type of person to to want to do that because having a, a startup is a bit like having a, a child that never grows up it's constantly in a, in a childish baby state that you need to look after all the time it is really challenging and my big thing is that I want to keep the company a small sort of expert group of individuals I don't want it to grow huge quickly because what we're doing at the moment is being experts in our field and the faster we grow that the more dilute that will become so it is a constant challenge between meeting the workload and not growing too fast <laughs> so watch this space we'll see how it goes I guess it's better to grow slowly and learn how to grow so you can have the processes in place to be able to scale like the learning and onboarding to make sure that everyone in the company is an expert perhaps at a faster route but maybe yeah definitely later, definitely and i sort of feel that i'm so obsessed with making sure that the clients get a huge amount of quality great product great service and they're really happy that i actually find delegating or releasing a lot of that responsibility quite difficult because i sort of a bit type a with that really is maybe something for me to work on in the new year yes although it sounds like you're doing it right it can also be a limiting thing when you are to micromanaging and or controls and when you do totally. like a service if you limit it there's only yourself, one of me it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the problem sounds like you're doing really well otherwise and what about public speaking so you think that also helped you a lot in terms of getting the business off the ground if you're able to walk into a company and just give a great hour-long presentation as opposed to someone that like oh god i'm going to talk to people totally and the funniest thing is i mean now i have a, a couple of really great agents who get me gigs around the world and i speak to huge audiences from china to all over the place and the funniest thing about that is that probably three years ago i would have been the sort of person that would have hid at the back of a room hoping to god no one asks me a question because i hated any kind of attention so i've gone from being immensely shy to now standing up in front of you know a conference of a thousand plus people 
delivering a presentation that I've got paid to do, which you know, three years ago, I just said, there's absolutely no way. And here I am. So cool. you evolve. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. That's perfect growth mindset material. <laughs> so what was it that actually made you decide you wanted to become a public speaker when you were naturally scared of doing something like that? To be honest, I got forced into it. I got completely forced into it when I was in the police. And I wouldn't say it was a conscious decision, but because I had to do it, I was just thinking, you know, I need, I need to get better at doing this. I need to find a way of, of actually overcoming this. So this is going to sound a bit strange, but I actually went to go and see a hypnotherapist. And this guy said to me, what you need to do is convince yourself and work really hard at convincing yourself of this fact, that every time you feel anxiety about going on stage, that that is actually excitement and you've misunderstood it. It's not anxiety, it's excitement and you feel excited about it. I practiced this and practiced this. And then actually, as odd as it sounds, I actually started to become convinced I was excited to go on stage. And then it just started to become fun. So I think if you're really struggling with something, if there's a block on something, don't just necessarily go and look for like the obvious solution. Go and look outside the box and try and find someone who might offer you something that really sort of lowers that barrier that you have, because it really helped me. That's amazing. I really like that. I've been yeah, really getting into the kind of stories that we tell ourselves that can hold us back or not. I don't know if you listen to the learned helplessness episode, but that's... Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, it's like a perfect kind of thing for that. The one thing I've been talking about, when you kind of have a resolution or you're just annoyed with things with your life, so you have to you know, make dinner or get up every day at something earlier than you want to do or you don't want to go to the gym. If you're sort of talking to yourself with the man saying, oh, I have to do this, it's not so interesting. Whereas if you say, oh, I get to do this, I get to go to the gym today, woo! I get to get up at <laughs> AM and like go and have this great job and it suddenly sounds so much better and it's just the stories that you tell yourself are so powerful that yeah saying that I'm excited to go on stage is really cool compared to saying oh god I'm really anxious I'm so scared and yeah yeah it's amazing so I guess it didn't happen straight away or did after like one session was it like oh I'm just so excited now how did you like incrementally improve your levels of excitement so I think for me I have my little routine before I go on stage I always go and buy myself a coffee and I sit down and I just think about smiling and feeling happy and feeling excited and thinking about when the audience is laughing at my jokes and and all the rest of it and how that makes me feel and it does completely wipe away any anxiety I think the other thing is that I'm Italian so I don't ever have this problem but a lot of British people do struggle with it is that when you come on stage or go in front of any audience to speak if you're sort of paralyzed and stiff in terms of your body language, so your arms are folded, you're hunched over, you're very stiff and, and not moving very much, there's a lot of energy that you're kind of containing within your body that might make you feel more anxious. Whereas us Italian folk, because you probably know, I'm already doing it now as I'm talking, I'm moving our hands all over the place continuously. And it becomes a lot more natural. You relax, your muscles relax, your facial muscles relax. The whole process just becomes more enjoyable. So the first thing I'd say to people is don't just stand at a podium. Move around, walk around, move your arms, feel natural. And you'll feel so much better about the whole experience than if you're paralyzed by a podium. Have you ever heard of um, Toastmasters? It rings a bell. I'm not sure how I know them. No, it's like a public speaking kind of meetup that you can go to. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. all over the world. And it doesn't matter whether you've never done anything before or you've done lots. You just take on new challenges to stand up in front of people you've never had met before and just improve. And they all like give you a score of different things that you're good at. So maybe you said like really good content, but perhaps you stood there stiffly and they'll all tell you that. Or perhaps you, like, you're really expressive, but need to think better about what you're saying. And I'll just give you lots of tips about how to frame what it is you're doing. And especially just like a boot camp for getting better at public speaking. I think there's no replacement for just doing it as well. I probably do at least one conference a week in busy uh-huh. times, probably two a week all over the world. And the more I do, the better I get. And when I've had a long period, maybe a month where I haven't done any, I do find that the first one back is a bit kind of, feels a bit more clunky, a bit, a little bit harder to get into. So I think, unfortunately, it's like everything. Practice makes perfect. You have to actually practice it and not just read the theory behind it. Yeah. Well, as in like the Toastmasters, it is the practice and you're literally in front of a room of like 20. Exactly. 
yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. It, which, if you're kind of scared to like, if your first thing is going to have to stand up and put it like a hundred people, maybe you can practice it in a smaller way first. How did you get an agent for doing that? Was that because you were doing things in the police and you're like, hey, I'm doing really cool speeches, maybe I could do this for bigger things? So, how did you then get into being a general public speaker? When I left the police, I did a few talks for conferences and. I got approached by an agent who said, you know, oh, we've seen that you're doing this sort of stuff and we've seen you on social media and stuff. We'd like to have a conversation about representing you. This is how we work. And then from there, I found another agent as well. So I worked with two separate agents, which, you know, is is great, especially once you get to a point where conferences are, are paying you to speak. It really smooths that whole process out because they deal with everything. They handle the whole contract negotiation and the travel and everything else, which takes a lot off your plate. Obviously, they do that for a percentage, but they've got to get something out of it. And yeah, I, th- I think it's great. It's great fun. And uh, I, I recommend it. I mean, I think the problem is you've got to have something worth hearing. And I think that's a key thing. You know, you can't just say, OK, I'm an expert in X, Y, Z. I'm going to give a presentation on this. You know, there has to be some angle, something different about you, some different story or experience, some level of authenticity, because people don't want to pay to have a PowerPoint presentation thrown at their audience. They want to have a story or or something authentic about you as a person that engages their audience. You've got to kind of think about what your story is and um, what your angle on things is that's unique, because why would someone pay you to talk about what you're going to talk about, basically? Cool. A bit like when you're having a business idea, what is your angle and what is like the brand, what is something that people can buy into you? So when you first started speaking, was it just quite natural that you always had a good angle because you already asked to do specific things? I would say that it's a constant process where you're refining and creating new things. So I have six talks that I do that people choose whichever one of the six that they want me to deliver for the most part. And each of them are completely unique and are based on predominantly on a story of some description with some learning, you know, lessons that you can take away from it as well. And I think I obviously go to these conferences because I see a lot of these speakers. And I think one big mistake that people make is they feel like in order for them to stand up with confidence, they need 10 slides of statistics and graphs to back them up. And it's the biggest killer. Like you can have the best talk in the world on the, you know, the most amazing issue and 10 slides of statistics and you'll have lost your entire audience. So I don't do statistics. I don't mention them at all in my talk. I just focus on the stories. And I think people take away a lot more from that. Yeah, that's cool. Hans Rosling, if you watch any of his, is amazing use of statistics, but he really uses them to tell a proper story. They're definitely adding into the thing rather than just like, oh, I need to use statistics right now. Yeah, Um, exactly. (laughs) Cool. Is there any other really good tips I haven't asked around public speaking that I should ask? So I think one other thing that people say is, oh, I'm terrified of questions at the end of my talk. I'm terrified someone's going to ask me a horrible question. And the way I view it is I'm a performer, essentially. And my performance I have created in such a way that at the end, it kind of reaches a crescendo, a really high point that leaves the audience feeling really good about themselves, that they've learned something full of energy. So I always say to the organizers, I don't do questions at the end. I just end on my high point and then that's it. They can tweet me, they can message me and that's it. And for the most part, in fact, almost all of the organizers have said, this is brilliant. I don't need to run around with a microphone. This is much better for us as well. And I think that's a better way of handling it sometimes. You could get any sort of question. It might be hard or it might just be something that's you know, a bit irrelevant, you don't know. So my advice is if you're really terrified about questions, just say, tweet me if you have a question or message me on LinkedIn or or whatever forum. Because actually, most people would rather ask the question on a one-to-one anyway. And you can end your talk on the point you want to end it on, which is really key. Yeah, it's quite powerful. That's a good, good point. Because you, you get some people that literally ask a question that is quite long and they're basically trying to prove to you, like they, they answer it in the question that they're asking and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and now I don't know. What to... Yeah, I, I guess didn't want to yeah. say it, but yeah, that's exactly what happens every yeah, single time. Annoying. It's always one of them. Yeah, people are funny. <laughs> they are. They are funny. Well, I'm glad I asked that question because I totally didn't think about that. Yeah, that's really a good insight. What about your general routines do you have any routines do you have to sort of wake up at a certain time do you have a specific diet do you exercise these kind of things i'm a super super morning person like annoying worst person to be around in the world after if you're suffering from a hangover i'm the worst person in the world because 
no matter what, I'll get up at 6am at the absolute latest. So I have my morning routine and check my emails. And um, to be honest, I don't have like an average day. I'm in airports an awful lot. <laughs> I have a lot of time where you're sort of twiddling your thumbs in, in an airport. But I, I wouldn't say there's an ever an average day, which actually, for me, I just love because there's so much variety. And I never know whether I'm going to have to be sort of running around like a, a mad woman or you know developing something in the office or all these things and I think that's the real plus side of running your own business there's a lot of negatives but for me that's that's pretty much the biggest plus side because there's just so much variety you could never say you have an average day but you still find that you can be very productive with the hectic schedule then yeah I'm a bit of a workaholic I would say that's probably my biggest vice as an individual but when you have your own business, the buck kind of stops with you. If you don't do it, then it doesn't get done. And that's why I said, I often say to people, you need to be a very self-motivated individual because if you need someone to be driving you, it's probably not the right thing for you to go and do because no one drives you. So it's one of those things, really. Yeah, it's a strange concept that can be very liberating or restricting at the same time to never have to rely on people. And that's really great. But it also means that you're always like, well, there is this work to be done and I know no one else is going to do it. So I have to do it. And there isn't such an end point exactly to you. No, there's work. no one to hand things off to. I think that's, yeah. that's a downside when you start because you can never go, oh, there's nothing to do because there's always something to do. So there's no need for any time off, really, because mm. there's always something that needs doing. So you have to be quite careful about where you draw those lines yeah okay so on the subject how do you relax um i'm a bit of an exercise holic person i love mountain biking and mountain climbing i'm a big big thing it's quite funny you, you mentioned that because i always say that mountain biking is like going to therapy because when i go out and i'm riding the bike and i'm flying down some hill mud flying up in my face it completely clears my mind of everything on my to-do list all my worries all my challenges just get wiped from my mind and you finish and you just feel lighter so i always sort of liken it to going to therapy but you know on a mountain mm. where you might break your arm yes yeah, nice high risk therapy definitely <laughs> yeah they say that a lot about kite surfing or when you do outdoor climbing and you're kind of on a rock face and like there isn't that much other stuff in your brain other than like am i gonna die <laughs> can i reach this hole and it's just really focusing and it's nice yeah definitely i think that's key whether you run your own business or not you just need to find what your therapy is and make sure you mm. have something that you can go to if you need a break yeah nice i really like running as well but then it's sort of you more do a lot of thinking whilst you are running, which is exactly. really nice in a different way. Things like that is properly just empties your brain and it's literally like meditating a bit. But it is. It's like it's like a very high adrenaline meditation. Okay, so thinking about uh, time, and you're obviously in quite a future-based industry. What do you think the uh, industry is going to be like in five years' time? I think it's just going to grow exponentially, and I think in cyber generally, the more products that get pumped out that connect to the internet, so you know, internet connected heating systems, lighting systems, kettles, all these things, the more things that you have that touch the internet, the more vulnerable you become. And because of that, and because of our reliance on it, I just think that at the moment, I hate to say it, but we are sort of losing the battle to the hackers who are, who are sort of winning it by leaps and bounds, really, at the moment. So I think the industry is just going to grow and grow and grow. And I'm hopeful that individuals will start becoming more aware of how they use social media, how they uh, connect to the internet and become more security conscious in the same way that you never go out of your house without locking your door. I'm hopeful that that same sort of security hygiene will map across into cyberspace. It's definitely a growth industry and it's got a huge, huge skills shortage at the moment. So if you're young and you're listening to this, cyber is, is definitely a, a thing to have on your radar for sure. Cool. What would you advise someone who is kind of interested to get into cyber? What, what should they do? I think you need to go and look at some YouTube videos first on security topics. So there's a guy called Professor Messer who does a whole load of tutorials on cybersecurity in all different kind of manners that is great. Go and watch his stuff, read some blogs and kind of get a feel for what kind of avenue of cybersecurity you're interested in because some people do offensive stuff such as myself. Other people work inside companies doing defensive stuff. So there's just so many different uh, avenues that you can go down. So just start reading up on, on the sorts of things that go on and, and see where your personality is sort of drawn to whichever one. 
Yeah, so could that be the difference between white hat and black hat hacking? Or how, can you explain that to me? So black hats are like the bad guys. They're the baddies. And then the white hats are people who hack into companies or attack companies with that company's permission to sort of test the security. So they'll say, okay, I got into your network through these three ways. You need to block those off. Whereas a black hat, they're one of the bad guys and they're doing it for real and maliciously. Cool. So just if you're looking on church tutorials, you kind of know what that is. Nice. And what would you say is your three biggest tips for someone who's trying to protect themselves more online? Wow. Three tips. The first thing I would say is if you're an individual, you need to go and check out what information is out there on you. Because as a hacker myself, the first thing I will do is go and see what information I can find on you to see what points I can connect with you on. So checking your social media privacy settings, thinking about what actually you are posting on social media, you know, photos in front of your house that show your door number, for instance, all these things can start to leak information and build a picture about you that you don't necessarily want being projected. So I would say that is absolutely key. The second thing I would say is with your own cybersecurity as an individual, make sure you have a firewall and antivirus try and make sure they're from different vendors and make sure they update automatically because ultimately, you know, they're your best line of defense as an individual. And then the final thing is use a password manager because the number of times individuals get hacked is because their passwords are terrible. So use something like LastPass to manage your passwords and have really long, secure passwords that you don't reuse. So I had a friend the other day whose Facebook got hacked and she came to me and she said, oh, you know, it's really weird. My Facebook got hacked. Then I realized that my Amazon got hacked and my Gmail got hacked. It was really weird. Why would they hack all these things? And I said, what password did you use for Facebook? And she said, well, it's the password I use for everything. And I said, well, you know, what they've done is they found your Facebook and they've gone, what other accounts does this lady have? Let's try that same password. And then they've got into all of them. So we've got to start taking a bit more responsibility ourselves, I think. Yeah, definitely. So, and sometimes you might get lucky if you get hacked into one thing, but if it's someone like personally trying to attack you, then they could go anywhere, which is kind of worrying when you have one password. Yeah. Yeah. What about banking and people replicating financial stuff? Do you experience that much? It's To be honest, I think the biggest risk is not so much online banking per se. I think it's more where you put your credit card and debit card details into. So putting them into sites that aren't secure or that you're not 100% confident in the fact that they are going to be secure unknown websites, things like that. And then those details get leaked and, you know, breached or whatever. And then people use those details to buy to buy other things themselves. The other issue that we see a lot is with companies where they get emails or telephone calls pretending to be the boss of that same company, asking somebody in the company to transfer money. And the number of times they will just transfer the money out of the company to this unknown bank account. And banks are sort of saying you know to be honest you've transferred that money we we're not going to kind of give it back to you which i sort of think is fair enough really but it's just about being a bit more sensitive with details that are sensitive i think uh, realizing that they have a lot of value to people and treating them like you would expensive jewelry instead of sort of throwing them around everywhere cool yeah it's really interesting inside the companies what are the other big hacks that you normally see in a company Wow. I mean, it would depend so much on the company, really. I mean, I've seen things where big shopping malls have had people show up and literally sit next to one of the parking pay points, plug their laptop into the parking pay point, get into the network of the shopping mall, and then later that night, lower the barriers into the shopping mall and go and basically empty the entire shopping mall of goods, all through sitting next to the parking meter and hacking into that network. We've seen all sorts of weird and wonderful things where hackers have actually befriended members of staff over a period of almost a year, built up a relationship with them, and then actually persuaded them to go and plug a USB stick into the company. Wow. I mean, literally, there is no barrier. You know, it, 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 the sky is the limit, really, in what these, in and how far these people will go. We've just got to really up our game 
with how aware we are of the fact that there are malicious people out there and we have to do something to to make their life at least a little bit more challenging. Wow, nice. When you talk about going in and showing people how far you can get into their business, do you ever sort of ask them to plug in your USB and go, oh, by the way, I've taken over your network? Or if you feel that might be a bit too scary? Yeah, I mean, we, we do plug in USB sticks. They never have anything on them because we wouldn't ever actually introduce anything malicious onto the network. But, you know, it's kind of proof of concept in the sense that if I can get the USB stick into a server, then I can get a USB stick full of malicious code into a server. So, yeah, we're always, I guess this is kind of the problem with security testing generally, is that ultimately we're bound by ethics, we're bound by a contract, we're bound by code of conduct, essentially. And the bad guys don't have a code of conduct, so they can do anything, whereas we are sort of limited in how we do things. So some people would argue that, you know, you can't ever fully test it to the way a hacker would do it, because to do that would mean damaging the company. Yeah, do you think it would be more effective if instead your USB kind of just planted something that just like gave a pop-up of like, picturing, hey, you've been hacked kind of thing that would make it feel a bit more real than just, uh, well, look, the USB was plugged in, so clearly I could have done anything because it might not quite connect so much in the memory. Yeah, I guess there's lots of, lots of questions about that, really. I mean, it's so difficult because as penetration testers, generally we sign contracts saying that we won't damage X, Y, Z on the in the company which you obviously have to do because it would cause the company loss otherwise yeah. but the, by that very nature you you're not testing it fully effectively like a hacker would because they don't care if they damage the network so that's sort of an, a limitation that i don't think you'll ever overcome because you know we yeah. can't go in there and start introducing malware so that's kind of the limitation we're stuck with definitely yeah. as a scientist it seems quite like null hypothesis really is you're not really actually proving the point that you're trying to prove as an you haven't got like a proper test going on. Yeah, exactly. That is the downside to it, I would say, but can't really be any other way at the same time. So I don't know what the solution is. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, if you reported your findings into a scientific journal saying like, yes, we could hack into this company, it wouldn't actually accept it because you haven't technically proven that you can do it kind of thing. Even though yeah. we were there. That's interesting. Is there anything else I should know about hacking that I haven't asked? I guess it's just, it's so diverse. It's like saying I do science, really, in a way. There's so many different skill sets and techniques that you can use to attack all sorts of different infrastructures that the term hacking almost is a bit meaningless, really, because it's a bit like science. You know, if you said, oh, I'm a scientist, it doesn't really tell the person much about what you actually do or what you specialize in. It's a difficult one to get your head around, I guess. Cool. So what would you say is your favorite book? My favorite book, without a doubt, is called No Way Down by Graham Bowley and it's a mountain climbing oriented book and it's about a climbing season on K2 which is the second largest mountain in the world after Everest and it's notoriously deadly notoriously difficult weather and these climbers essentially found themselves stranded with their support lines cut off at over 8,000 meters up and the tales of how they survived and the determination is just really inspiring so I've read that probably four or five times actually but I really recommend it if you want truly inspiring book to read yeah it's, it's a really amazing book it kind of puts you off climbing a little bit even <laughs> like oh, oh yeah for sure <laughs> for sure it puts you off going into the mountains yeah, so have you ever thought about climbing like everest or... i've done lots of big mountains i've climbed all sorts of big mountains around the world and i haven't done everest but it's you definitely on my to do list for sure yeah always been keen on those things but i find i get like really cold quite easily but i have like yeah super low that won't work well for you at no. 8, meters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, maybe I just have to like accept my limitations on some stuff. And can do There's a lot of cold things. and a lot of suffering, yeah. but it's worth it when you get to the top. True that. Then what is the kindest thing anyone has done for you? I think probably this was really recently, actually. So in December, I found out that I'd won the Top 100 Women in Tech Award. And I knew I'd been nominated by someone in advance of this. And I knew I'd been shortlisted. And part of the sort of final judging process was a part of the public vote. And I was honestly overwhelmed by the number of people on LinkedIn and Twitter who shared and voted for me and supported me through comments and messages. People who I'd never actually met who read my blogs and stuff. And it was just so touching that there were so many people who were saying, you know, this is really well deserved, 100% I'll vote for you. And when I won, everyone was so supportive. And it was sort of not one person really, but it, it was really, really touching that so many people were behind me. It was great. Yeah, that's lovely. 
congratulations by the way and this Thanks is how i found out about you i just saw your post got promoted on linkedin like a lot of people had been like liking it i was like cool like linkedin did a bit of what you're doing like this is awesome <laughs> social engineering hacking let's talk to this person yeah see um, there you go i wouldn't be on here if it wasn't for all of those people who had shared yeah. it and liked it okay then backtracking a little bit do you think is because of the way you do blog and interact and speak and things that really helped you get there yeah i think probably there's a an accessibility to the way I blog and and talk at conferences and things. And, you know, I always have time for anybody. So if anyone messages me and says, hi, you know, I really want to get into cyber. How do I do this? Or I want to become a public speaker. Can you give me some tips? You know, however busy I am, I'll always take time to message them back and try and pass something on because people have helped me get to where I am. And I think it's really important that we always play those things forward to other people because we all need help to get where we are and we need help continuously to get further so uh, i think it's important that you always are accessible to people who need your help yeah and then like coming on the podcast and sharing your experience and for <laughs> us all it's uh, much appreciated yeah. And you spoke about wanting to deliver like a really good job to your clients. You'd never want to have someone that wasn't a super professional doing the work. Does it sound like you've got a real focus on doing things properly and helping people as much as possible? Yeah, definitely. And we do loads of pro bono stuff as well as a company. You know, when we have spare capacity, we do completely pro bono stuff for charities and for the NHS just to help them when we can to kind of, again, give back into the communities that we live in. So I think it makes us feel good. It helps the patients who are using those NHS hospitals and sort of everyone wins really. So I think it's always really important to remember that it's not always, it can't always be about you. It has to be about the community you live in as well. Uh, we were kind of on the rounding up questions, but I suddenly thought of one other thing. that's maybe a bit of a topic I've been to around the blockchain and um, hacking and things. So I've been talking with the NHS lately about some various services for them. And one of the things they've been asking about is building a whole new like passport where the individual controls all their own data and they can like go anywhere in the world and have all their own data with them and just give it to people. And they are kind of wondering about putting it on the blockchain. And do you think that's a useful use of the blockchain or is it just basically it's a database? Why does it need to be on a blockchain kind of thing? It's quite difficult for me to answer that actually without knowing more information about it. I think the advantage that you have with blockchain is that it's essentially a design that is supposedly resistant to modification. Sort of using that sort of distributed ledger structure allows you to have that, which is a real advantage. But obviously, like everything, nothing is 100%. Nothing is. There, there has been a lot of criticism of blockchain over the last six months. And I think nothing is is a clear win in anything, really. Definitely, you know, the these new technologies are something that the NHS um, and government generally needs to be taking advantage of more than they are at the moment. I feel that certainly with the NHS and cyber, often, unfortunately, through funding issues, they're a little bit behind. So I think doing things like you just mentioned is really beneficial for them because, you know, you have to be advancing in that kind of way. But like I said, unfortunately, I can't really sort of comment too deep in too much of a detail about it without knowing the details. So yeah, I would, I would say that's the main advantage of it, really. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been given too many details. But if I had more, then I probably couldn't speak about them anyway. <laughs> um, have you seen any real good use cases or have you thought of any real good use cases for the blockchain that would help people? I don't really do that much with blockchain, to be perfectly honest with you. I know the shipping industry use it quite extensively, so maybe that's something to investigate. I'm not entirely sure you know, how well that's working for them, but I know I've been to quite a few shipping conferences where blockchain has been sort of high up on the list of agendas, so I know that they're using it quite, uh, quite extensively. Interesting. Can you tell me about the most vivid memory you have from childhood? I'm going to use a funny one. You know when you're really young and you're in kind of primary school, and they always do the thing where they, they ask the kids what they want to be when they're older. And kids usually write princess or footballer or ballet dancer or whatever. Well, I was always a little bit odd as a child. And I'm still probably pretty odd now, to be honest. And I decided that my picture was going to read head chief executive of British Airways. So all of the kids had their pictures up on the wall of like fairies and footballers. And then there was just this one executive sat at a desk which was mine and I remember my mum and dad overhearing a conversation they were having about it downstairs when the teacher had obviously called them 
to say this is a bit strange. And they were like, I don't know where she's got this from. I don't know where this, how did she know the word head chief executive? And it's a bit of a weird anecdote, really, but it's one of the most vivid memories I have. And I think that kind of summed me up really overly ambitious since I was a toddler. That's really funny. We think you do the job can't really always explain but maybe it has a big link into things because like you said you've never really been entrepreneurial since your first business but perhaps ever since you're young you've always like had that in you who knows what i was thinking to be honest i don't want to be the ceo of british airways anymore I'm just <laughs> that up, but <laughs> he's watching out maybe you're gonna like hack into him or something yeah exactly yeah, have you done much work with airlines because they must be fairly we've done one airline and we've also done a lot in the space industry so people who launch satellites and stuff like that and lots in the shipping industry as well so transportation is kind of key i think in a way and i suppose this is a positive what we haven't really seen yet is hackers doing something to deliberately endanger human life that hasn't really been something that we've seen them do they've mainly wanted to make a point or to make money which is a huge advantage because obviously at the point they start blowing up planes in the sky, it's a bit Armageddon. So luckily that hasn't really happened yet. Who knows what the future holds, but typically that's not seeming to be their MO. Yeah, it certainly is. We rely more and more on software to drive planes and cars and things. It's definitely a worry. Totally. These things. Um, what about, you know, you said you do uh, like try and break into companies and things. When I spoke with the hacker before on here he's talking about like ordering free dominoes and these kind of things i oh, know as a different guy who i didn't actually publish a podcast with doesn't matter but my one friend used to hack into dominoes for like a whole year and stole pizzas <laughs> the story i still need to put on the podcast is quite cool but he's just super hard to get hold of but it would be quite fun to try and break into just getting onto an airline for free or getting plane tickets around the world uh, yeah i, I mean you'd be able to I, do I think, that if you planned i think to be honest anything is doable it all very much depends on your level of skill and your level of determination. I think at the end of the day, we've seen the NSA get hacked, we've seen GCHQ get hacked, and you'd have thought that those organizations would be some of the most secure in the world, and yet people get into them. So I think, you know, if someone wants in, they're getting in, and that's a, a horrible message to end the podcast on. But, you know, I think that's sort of the ultimate goal. You've just got to hope they give up before you know they don't really want into you specifically they just kind of want your money um, and they'll move on to somebody else but if they really want you they'll get you yeah it's a bit like the uh, philosophy of how expensive should your bike lock be isn't just slightly more expensive than the guys next to you on on the bike locks totally <laughs> exactly but ultimately if they really want your bike there isn't mm. a lock in the world that will stop them it's a bit of a sour pill to swallow but that's that's kind of where we're at cool well <laughs> Definitely. Okay. And then um, in general, that I haven't asked about you, your businesses, there's lots that obviously we didn't go into, but I don't think it's super useful that you'd like to talk about. I think you've pretty much covered everything. The only thing I would say kind of about developing your skills generally as an individual or to run your own business is that years and years and years ago, I decided that I really wanted to learn how to use Photoshop. And it was just purely for my own enjoyment, a creative outlet, if you will. And it turns out completely unplanned, but it turns out that a lot of my products, a lot of the things that I do now wouldn't be as popular had I not been able to use Photoshop because I use it hugely to create all sorts of fake resources to put out and they're really effective. And, and actually, if I couldn't use Photoshop, it would have either cost me an absolute fortune to get someone to do it for me, or I would have just had to abandon that idea completely. So I guess what I'm saying to people is when you're looking for ways to develop your skills, don't necessarily just think this is my career path. These are the skills that I need. Think outside the box for things like, you know, OK, I'm going to learn how to fly a drone or speak Russian or whatever, because those sorts of things later on will come in and you'll think, actually, I'm really glad I can fly this drone or use Photoshop or whatever, because now I can add this on and it makes my product unique. Mm. I guess that's kind of a, a thought that I'd like to leave everybody with that, you know, do other things that are a bit out there because when you combine them later on, they're gold dust. That's a really good tip. Isn't people think, oh, I just have to study business or something trying to get into business, but actually you can kind of just go about your life doing things that really interest you and then start finding like skills that just unlock other abilities. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it makes you so much more interesting, both on paper and to talk to you when you've got all these hugely diverse skills that have nothing to do with business or with cyber or with whatever it just makes you more well-rounded i think 
overall that for better mm, yeah for sure game uh, podcasting i've come up with quite a lot of business ideas where this has been problems that i've had i'm like oh cool i could totally do this so yeah would you say there is a common theme that runs through everybody you have interviewed that's a really good question i guess a bit of a growth mindset i've always been learning and taking on different things that it has been quite interesting that otherwise there are completely different ways of doing things like i said talking to you as in of first-time founders it's more people that have gone and done something like a phd or got some real experience first and then they just knocked out of the park first time whereas other people you know they've just always been business focused but perhaps they had to do quite a few different businesses and they kind of learned the skills of running a good business by failing at it instead to eventually need to have a proper like solid idea and a focus which i guess has just been Kind of interesting to kind of observe when you talk to a lot of people. I mean, everyone's been really nice. <laughs> but... That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I've been basically listened yesterday, did like an intensive, I ended up down a rabbit hole with your podcast and just listened to like, like episode after episode after episode. And I was just like, well, I spent so much time listening to all these podcast episodes. But anyway, what <laughs> wow. I really liked about it was that there was so much diversity. And I think I was learning things from people who are not related at all to cybersecurity. And I thought, you know what, that's such a good point. I I think I can apply that. And I think that's what's really great about your podcast is that you can take lessons from all sorts of different people in all different walks of life and apply it to yourself. And I think that's way better than just listening to the same message over and over. Thanks so much. You're really selling my podcast for me. That's uh, <laughs> the point I've been kind of wanting to prove is that everyone is kind of interesting and you don't just if you want to get into one thing only sort of talk about that as in if you aspire to be a ceo if you only listen to ceo podcasts it's not always that interesting if you go and talk to like other people that have problems or whether it's weird people or just like your flatmates like you can find interesting stuff going on with them and find out more about the world and everything and you just are more open to what's going on everywhere rather than just focusing on one thing totally yeah yeah becomes a bit of an echo chamber otherwise so yeah definitely which is like the problems that we have with so much other social stuff going on with like facebook and people just only hearing the same messages and things yeah yeah do you have any other questions you wanted to ask me what do you think like when you this is kind of about your podcast actually when you set up your podcast how did you come up with your idea and what kind of challenges did you feel that you really faced in kind of creating a brand and gaining listeners good question i think what the idea was i had just been listening to quite a few podcasts and i've been getting kind of annoyed with how many american ones there were <laughs> and <laughs> just wanted to hear a bit more british and a bit more variants of i felt like tim ferris or some of the business ones they were just all they're getting a bit repetitive and samey you know wanted something a bit more different but still just talking to interesting people about interesting things and i've always been into psychology and i felt that there's a bit of a running theme between these people of like a growth mindset like most people that have done something cool in their lives have a growth mindset so i wanted to try and find that out and that's kind of where that came from in terms of the concept and then for the gaining listeners I'll be honest and say I actually didn't do a very good job of that in that I've somehow gained listeners, but I didn't really market it. I haven't set up lots of social media and been like putting my name everywhere. I need to do more guest podcasting. I need to do lots of things on the list of that you should do to run a successful podcast. I just haven't done. I basically, it's got onto iTunes and people seem to like it and it's just <laughs> growing bigger from that. And so I've had the like one person that had like a million Instagram followers and it's like, yeah, if I get her on, then I'll be getting loads of people. And then she never posted on Instagram and <laughs> you can't really ask more times than that. And so I sort of had things that I thought would really help me in terms of getting there and didn't help as much. So I've done a bit of posting on Quora sometimes. So say someone asks like, okay, how do I get funding for my business? If I've got an episode where someone specifically answered that question, I'll point them to that episode at that point and say, hey, this guy gives a great answer. He's really cool. But I didn't, I should do that with every podcast, you know, like twice a week, but you know, I've done it not that often. And it's more the consistency of having interesting people on and having a, a kind of regular schedule. And it took me six months to get like a thousand downloads. And then it sort of started to shoot up as I suddenly had a bit of a backlog of people go and listen to when you don't have that many episodes there. 
it was a lot harder to get people to listen when you suddenly have like 20 episodes in the backlog that are all kind of interesting people can kind of get in and just like you've done go and listen to quite a few different things yeah and i think there's a critical mass as well because for for example on linkedin i have like forty-eight thousand followers and it was kind of a thing where when it was like a small number it was really challenging to get people reading my posts and and everything and then when you get to a certain number it just kind of expands organically almost doesn't it which I guess is kind of what you're saying but at least you know that this is how popular it's got with you doing very little Mm. so this year when you push it forward I mean I think you're definitely right it fits I really, really liked it. And I must say, I find it really refreshing that there's a British podcast that's about all sorts of people, but also people from so many different backgrounds, which I just love. Like you're testing a hypothesis of how you can learn from all different people. And I think it just makes it really easy to listen to. So you've done a great job. Oh, thank you so much. You're great. You can definitely come on again sometime. <laughs> I'll to, uh... ask you questions about your podcast. Oh, yeah, that could be fun, actually. Don't know how to do it, but somehow trying to break into someone and turn that into a podcast i think we could do like a live podcast where we're breaking to someone's company maybe that's something for 2019 yeah definitely yeah definitely thank you so much for having me on yeah thank you for making time and i will definitely be sharing and promoting your podcast far away awesome thank you so much right you're welcome have a great day yeah you too and easy So that was Lisa. What a crazy, awesome human being. Hopefully you're feeling inspired to work on leveling up your skills because who knows where it will take you. And on that note, let's go straight into my top tips. Number one, go all in on learning skills that interest you. Since recording this podcast, I've read a book called Mastery, which actually speaks about developing various talents that you're just bloody interested in, which you can then combine into your own unique skill set. I think Lisa's example is perfect. She's just become great at Photoshop, public speaking, along with getting a deep knowledge of cybercrime, and it's just genius. She's perfectly set herself up to start a great business just by following her interests in seemingly completely unrelated fields. And further to that, it gives you an all-important story to tell, which is key for public speaking, or just getting people to remember you. Number two, find solutions by going out of the box. Lisa used hypnotherapy to convince herself she was excited to go on stage rather than anxious about it. Now, this is just so awesome, and it's not a tip that I've ever heard someone use before. And if you've read one book about public speaking, you've probably read all of them. But if you go into a completely different field, you might learn something completely new that actually helps you. And as Lisa says with like the podcast, as well as an example, it's really nice to hear from types of people that you'd never normally be listening to, but they can actually tell you things that you'd have never thought of that might actually help you. So who'd have thought that Lisa, for example, a cybercrime and social engineering specialist, would be giving us public speaking masterclasses that a genius. It's amazing. So yeah, stick to out-of-the-box things and actually you might learn a lot more than you expect. Number three, protect yourself online. Now just, just don't trust anyone. Hackers are becoming increasingly sophisticated and they aren't just doing crazy things with code to get to you. They'll often exploit human vulnerabilities by just becoming your friend and finding ways to physically get in. So have some strict policies about who can do what and don't allow yourself to make any sacrifices along the lines of, oh, I'm sure for you it'll just be okay. Because even if you're 99% certain, you really don't want to be the lemon that happens to let in the dubious 1%. And of course, don't use the same password for everything. Use a password manager and don't click on links in your email. And never leave your laptop open if you walk away from it. And now on to books. Lisa recommends No Way Down, Life and Death on K2. It's about climbing and it's just an awesome book that will put you off climbing even a slightly snowy hill, to be honest. It's just a nail-biting read and a huge example of mental courage and human resilience and you'll love it if you like that kind of thing. And if you do enjoy it, I would also go on to recommend other adventurous readings such as Touching the Void and Endurance by Alfred Lansing. And on the subject of books, I am very pleased to announce our sponsor today. InstaRead is one of my favourite new tools. InstaRead transforms non-fiction books into 15-minute audiobooks. Each InstaRead gives you all the key insights from the book, along with a synopsis, analysis and commentary. 
If you're interested in self-improvement books, business, healthy living, history, psychology, etc., then InstaRead is for you. Thanks to their professional summaries, you'll truly understand what's inside a book without spending weeks on reading it. It just saves you tons of time. I personally find it just a great way to get a basic knowledge of some of the best books that you simply don't have time to read all of them. And it's also just a great screening tool. So if you find the InstaRead summary really fascinating, you know that it's probably worth reading the full book and you don't risk buying books that waste your time or money. I really enjoyed their summaries of Atomic Habits by James Clear and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, some books you really should just revisit several times and InstaRead is just a perfect hack for reminding you of the important lessons that you learned, but without needing to reread the whole thing again. So just check it out at InstaRead.co. They have an unrestricted free trial for seven days and they are offering our listeners a 20% discount on the annual plan. You can use the code GROWTHMINDSET in one word at the checkout. So that's InstaRead.co, not .com, and the code is GROWTHMINDSET. And you can get smarter today with InstaRead. Boom. You've just listened to an episode of the Growth Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your preferred app and give me a good rating as these go a really long way. If you are unable to give good feedback right now, try sharing the show with a friend who will, or just wait for the show to improve. If you have any ideas for the show or you just want to chat, then please reach out to me on Twitter at Sam Harris Tweets or Instagram at Sam Jam Snaps. Show notes and other links to topics discussed in the episodes are available at the website, growthmindsetpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Give yourself a big hug from me. If you're with a friend, give them a hug as well. And I hope you enjoy your next podcast.